Hi everybody and welcome back to episode 3 of season 3 of In The Weeds podcast 2021. A little bit like Groundhog Day at the minute, isn't it? So hopefully this episode will give you an hour's reprieve from that. And it's a really good one. I'm joined by one of Scotland's celebrated Michelin star chefs, Mr. Tom Kitchen. Delighted to have him on. He's also the youngest Michelin star chef for many years and has some fantastic menus around the beautiful Edinburgh region. And he has shared kitchens with some of the best of the best in the world. So we talked to him about all things hospitality right now and obviously his affiliation to Scotland and also Liverpool. So, yep, he's got curly hair, works in hospitality, Liverpool fan. He's also got twins. Mm. Sounds like someone else I know. So anyway, it was an absolute pleasure to spend some time talking with Tom. Hope you enjoy the episode. I'd love to hear your feedback as always, guys. Uh, stay safe out there and enjoy. Okay, guys, welcome back. I'm delighted to have award-winning Scottish Michelin-starred chef Tom Kitchen with me this morning. I feel bad actually with it being early and it's it was Burns night and the Michelin <laughs> announcement last night. I was a bit worried <laughs> maybe I'd uh, got you up too early. Yeah, well, actually I'm doing dry January, so that was a test of my uh, resilience last night with Michelin and Burns night with the dry January, but uh, I got through it. So it's okay, I'm fresh, I'm ready to go. That, that's good. So congratulations for keeping your stars up for 14 years now, I believe. Yeah, 14 years, which... Um, you, you, you have to keep reminding yourself that that is an achievement in itself because you do have to win the Michelin star every year. You know, like aspirations to go higher, you know, first and foremost, it's important that you retain the Michelin star. So the consistency for 14 years is something that we should be really proud of, yeah. Do you still hold that youngest, youngest award? No, I doubt it very much. Uh, I'm sure there's some whippersnapper that's taken that. Well, I hope so anyway. Um, but uh, I don't even know if that was 100% true, but the press have run with it for years and years. So I've just kind of gone with it, really, to be honest. How, how is it for you yesterday? Is it, is, it, is it always a nervous time the day before? Yeah, no, it is like Michelin. Uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been going um, how you you think that you've matured into it and you you know it's it's not that big a deal and then suddenly about a day or two days before it's coming your whole stomach starts to go and you got that kind of nervous energy and uh yeah yesterday obviously normally we'd be in london and go to the awards and you know you would be there with all your peers and it's uh it's even you know it's it's, it's a real experience but yesterday i was at home with the kids and my wife and cooking dinner and um, watching it virtually, which was uh, was crazy. But there were some amazing awards last night. I mean, massive congratulations to Helen DeRoz and Claire Smith getting, you know, three-star Michelin, which is the pinnacle, which is the absolute pinnacle. And, uh, you know, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant for, for British gastronomy that we, we, we got such great accolades last night. Yeah. yeah. And what do, you think about, what do you think about the green stars? No, it's brilliant. I mean, more and more, that's the way we're going. And we have to, we have to celebrate these things. And, uh, it was really interesting. I wasn't aware of it, you know, as much as, um, you know, maybe I should have been in, in the sense that you could win a green star. But that's another motivation. And that's, you know, certainly our business is going that way massively. You know, we're, we've, we started growing, we started working with local growers, growing vegetables and herbs and salads specifically for the restaurant. So 
you know, that's the way that we're going to go as well. And it's a really beautiful thing. You know, once you start to, somebody's growing something specifically for your restaurant, you can really feel the difference. You can taste it. It's, it's magical. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a restaurant, uh, well, I don't live too far from Chester, called Haifa. They got a green star last night. Oh, um, brilliant. They're, um, they use the local growers for me. I absolutely made up for them. I know them quite well now. But like you say, yeah, they're using people who are, doing some amazing things within you know tamaz of the restaurants mm-hmm. but yeah that thing that's the that's definitely the way forward hopefully sustainable yeah, absolutely. as well yeah and the taste the taste is unbelievable you know when you taste the carrot when it's just come out of the ground and everything the vegetables has always been a difficult thing for us in the restaurant you know it's because you know scotland we're not blessed with sun but actually it's it's very achievable as well, you know. So it's it's good. It's good. You're always you're always evolving, and that's that's what I love about it. You know, you never stand still. You can always evolve. Yeah. Do you do you grow at home at all? Do you grow? At yeah, home? I do. Um, yeah. we've done that. Uh, certainly, like we started that in the last lockdown in March. We started growing all the stuff with the kids, and uh, but you know, you need to be on it. I mean, my life is normally so crazy and uh busy that you know i wouldn't really have the time but um it's a really interesting process especially with the kids you know it's really nice to follow the the journey yeah i, I did myself actually we got we got a few chickens and and um I've, I've, I've expanded it for some reason like you say it needs uh, it needs work but it needs work yeah. the kids uh, my kids are three they they already are a big advocate of le- them learning early on about yeah. what the seed rather than what is on the plate. So when they mm. interestingly watching them, the the twins, they the one of them one of them takes them more than the other, but they're more likely to eat it when they know where it's come from and they know absolutely growing it. So mm. it's definitely uh, interesting. So you have you have four children, don't you? So lockdown must be tough. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's busy. Um, yeah, we have four boys. We have tw- uh, two boys, and then we were blessed with twin boys like yourself, or twins as well. Oh, you know, so oh, God. so yeah, it's 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 a busy it's a busy house, yeah. So uh, you got twins and two. Yeah, we had two sons, and then uh, then we had twin boys, which was a surprise. Yeah. Wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't moan too much then. Yeah. Wow. Moving forward, move, go back a little bit because just for the listeners of the podcast, is something you were born that you wanted to do being a chef or is it something you, you, you fell into or what, how, how did it come about? No, it's, it's, um, you know, often with some of the, you know, the, the great chefs, you, you listen to their stories and it was like, you know, they were killing chickens in the yard with grandmother and, you know, they were making bread and rolling gnocchi from early age. But, you know, to be honest, it was very much, it was just a really normal um, culinary upbringing from, from my mom and dad, you know, it was, it was great home cooked food, but it was mince and tatties. It was, it was roast on a Sunday. It was uh, just normal, good food. What really happened to me was um, I took a job washing the dishes in a local pub when I was 13 years old and I'd work on the weekends and I absolutely fell in love with the, um, the look at the adrenaline of working in the kitchen and you know, the excitement of being busy and that kind of team effort. And I've always loved sport. And I think that was the kind of fix that I got was like being in this kitchen, busy environment and, you know, just the adrenaline and the excitement. And that's what I kind of got hooked on that, on the adrenaline, I think. A bit like sport, you know, when you're in a team sport, you're kind of all together, one for all and that. And then the owner and the chef, they they must have seen something, you know, um, 
And they got me to start doing the starters and then I started to do little bits and bobs. And, you know, school wasn't, you know, really uh, my great passion in life, you know. And by this time I was 15, 16, I realized that, you know, I wasn't going to become a, a footballer or anything like that. So I was just desperate to get out of school. And, you know, fortunately enough, my parents were open-minded enough, you know, because I'm 43 now. So when I was 16, it wasn't, really socially accepted that you're going to leave school at 16 and become a chef you know it, you know this was before marco had even made cooking rock and roll if you know what i mean so for my parents to say to agree for me to leave school at 16 and go to the local college and you know follow my dream of being a chef was a big thing but fair dues to them now they, they believed in me and uh, here we are today so your venues are all obviously in scotland have you ever thought about branching out further down south or <laughs> yeah no absolutely there's been um, there's been numerous offers um you know london uh, not too far from you there's been offers in liverpool people are always uh, asking <laughs> me to come down you know even dubai's and things and to be really honest like when you receive an offer like that you know you you me personally i've got that drive and ambition and excitement and my wife has always been really good. Like, she's always like, hold on a minute. Do you want to think about this? Do you know what I mean? Like, because actually, you know, the thought of me actually doing restaurants in different places and, and, and around the world for the last 14 years, it, it would never really have worked because I'm so obsessed with being in my own kitchen. How I could possibly manage to do different restaurants in, in locations and actually, that's why it's worked really well doing the different you know, venues that we have solely in Edinburgh is that I can get around really fast and I can still get back to the kitchen, the Michelin star restaurant for service. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly um, my love affair with Liverpool, there's, there's, a, there's definitely one day, maybe an ambition to do something down there, but let's wait and see. Cool. We'll, we'll bring it. We'll have a chat about Liverpool in a little bit. Mm. Um, but hey, let them come to you, isn't it? Let them come. That's that's how it should be. You know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You don't have to be. You don't have to be in London to be successful. No, you don't. No, no. And that's. I think that's the wonderful thing that's happening about you know British food now. It's like you know when I was a young chef, the only place I was going was straight to London. You know, so I was in London at eighteen years old because that's where you had to be. Now it's completely changed. You can go to Cornwall. You got Nathan Paul. You can go to Nottingham to Sabend. You can go to Daniel Clifford in Cambridge. You can come up to Edinburgh. You can go to Glasgow. They just got a Michelin star. You know, if that's what you want to do, you don't have to just go to London. And I think that's really, really exciting. You know, for decades and decades, you know, the people have laughed about British cooking, but now we can stand up tall and we can be proud, you know, that we've got some incredible places showcasing the amazing produce that we have. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Obviously, I don't want to go too much into it, obviously, but while we're talking about it, you know, we're obviously in a, a massively difficult time. Now, the rule, rules in Scotland are slightly different to, to where we are. Is that correct that now you can't, you can't go into a premises who are doing takeaway? So if you can, you, if you, for example, we have a coffee shop. Uh, Still open. Yeah, no, that's the rules yeah. in Scotland now as well. But the rules in Scotland have been different all the way along. But uh, I don't want to get too involved into that. But it's it's basically been where are we now? We're in um, towards the end of January. You know, it's basically been um, from the first lockdown. Uh, we haven't been able to trade 
properly, even without alcohol, for, for nearly a year now. So uh, it's not sustainable. We understand there's a crisis. We understand we need to, mm. you know, get rid of this virus. But, you know, as far as an industry goes, it's just been absolutely um, catastrophic. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, 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 we opened a few venues and then you have to shut them, we've shut them down three times. It's, it's, mm. you know, it's, it's unheard of. How many times you can do that? I don't know. I've read an article you did, I think it's in The Scotsman, you know, where people are in tier two and you're almost like ecstatic about being in tier two. That's what it was like down here. However, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a Stockholm theory thing where you actually like, wow, we're in tier two. It's just, it's tier two. It's yeah. like horrendous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Yeah. Because nobody can travel. I, I mean, yeah. I don't want to. No. I felt before before Christmas, I felt like um, I felt like myself and my wife and and everyone in, in my business, we'd, we'd fought every battle that we could possibly fight. Every fireball they'd thrown at us, every restriction, change this, that. You know, we were like a lemon. You know, when you squeeze a lemon and you squeeze it and then there's nothing else to give. You know, you squeeze it and there's no more juice. That's what I felt like before Christmas. And now I'm just recuperating. I'm just like spending time. I need to get my mind back into focus. And I want to be ready because when we go, when we reopen, I want to be like that greyhound out of the traps. You know, I want to be absolutely on it doing what we love and what we, 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 you know, we dedicate our lives to in, the, in this industry. And I just want to get back at it and, uh, and get my people working again and, and looking after our customers. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's been a long time coming, but hopefully it's around the corner. Did you, have you got involved in any of that at home cooking at home? Have you done that? Yeah. I mean, we have, um, we, we, uh, Two of our venues, Scran and Scally, which is our, our kind of like a gastro pub and Bonnie Badger, our, our small hotel, which has got pub as well. We did at home. We did uh, we did all that, but we've stopped it now. It just felt after Christmas that it, it was too painful. It's not making enough. It's not making enough money to to make it worthwhile. And you know, we we just have to to just buckle down the hatches, stay safe, get rid of this virus, and let's get back to doing what we love. Yeah, I agree. We 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 had a few that we we had a pizzeria doing at home stuff, and that we st- we did the same mentality after Christmas stopped because I think you need mm-hmm. that space in January. Yeah. I had to come off yeah. social media in January as well, just take a mm-hmm. complete wide berth. And like you say, we need to be um, to be back ready. One thing we used to do, and we used to have a um, a smokehouse. I seen you cooking beer can chicken the other day. Mm. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> One of the best. One of the best. Yeah. <laughs> Do you use any beer, Pacific beer, in it? Or um, no, to be honest, um, not really. That was a like a spelt lager from the Black Isle. That one I used, but it wasn't um, chosen for any specific reason. But oh my goodness, like yeah, you put something like that up on the social, <laughs> <laughs> you got all these people like telling you off for doing a beer can chicken. That's much better than it in the oven. I'm like seriously, like yeah, it was good. It was amazing, and the kids loved it, and it was fun. What were they telling you off? Oh, yeah, because actually Sir Chris Hoy, the cyclist, he did it the week before and he took the recipe from my book and he was like, this is mega, this is brilliant. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do that next weekend, actually, next Sunday, actually. And then Chris came on social and he was like, oh, wait, you're going to get loads of people telling you off now. (laughs) And he was right. He was right. I just like people have got nothing else to do with their time than criticize. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. That's a social media problem, isn't it? I know you're very sort of, very advocating in, in youth development. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned sport there. You do so, is it, is it with Spartans, isn't it? 
Yeah, Spartans Academy, yeah, which is um, it's a community organization in an area of northern Edinburgh, uh, deprived area. They've got these incredible astral pitches. So they have football clubs, but it's also a community organization. And there's there's so many great things that it brings to the neighborhood. The, the people who some of the people who work there, they go into the local schools, they help with the kids. But also kids can come and use the area, but they have to sign a contract. And, you know, it's never been vandalized. It's never been graffitied. It's never been, you know, it's treated with respect. But it's a, it's a safe haven for kids to come and, you know, use it. But they do some great stuff. They do breakfast club in the, you know, summer holidays, Christmas holidays, that kind of stuff. And in the pandemic, they, they were incredible, you know, the way that they, they managed to rally together and, um, you know, help to get food out to people who are less fortunate, who needed a little bit of help. Yeah. And I think, like you say, I think as well, um, exercise on a personal level and sport i think become really important in these times definitely you, Absolutely. what do you do yourself do you exercise much yeah no i'm uh, i'm very much part of my uh, daily routine is is doing exercise in some way or form and uh, i think as well you know like personally what we've been through in this industry to be able to just go and clear your head every morning come back and feel ready to tackle the day is something that really trying to get across to my chefs, my team and everything, how important this is, you know, to go out and just liberate your mind and exercise. It doesn't matter what you do, but you will feel better in yourself. And, um, and then, you know, going back to Spartans, the community, you know, it's not rocket science with these wee kids, you know, like if they want to be footballers or, you know, whatever it is, then the whole knock-on effect is like looking after yourself, trying to eat better, you know, the, the whole journey down is so so important so trying to bring that together uh, is fantastic and, and that's why it's so important that these sports stars are role models and they help to inspire the, the young kids but unfortunately some children it's uh, it, it's out with their hands and you know it, 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 that's why these community areas are so so important that you know like even if they're, they're the kids parents are not maybe like pushing the children in the right direction they can go somewhere like spartans and you know and be guided in the right way you know it's really important yeah i think it's come up a, quite a bit on the pod, on podcast in the past of, and i've had um a girl who does central education for in copenhagen and the sort of reception level and kindergarten level of let's say the nordics it, they're starting to you know they're learning it in there about what like we said before about planting seeds where it comes from eating healthily mm. where i think like you say, in, in, in the UK, we've been so behind in what is accessible to kids, you know, and what's on kids' menus, what's in, um, Absolutely. you know, and, and also the problem is, yeah, okay, there's food banks, but majority of these are canned food and they're not the answer long-term if you want to educate people on what you should be eating nutritional-wise. Again, like you say, if you want to maybe be a footballer or something like that. No, no, it's absolutely, but it's, it's a very double-edged sword, that, isn't it? I mean, my wife is Swedish. Yeah. And, you know, she she still now is absolutely, her eyes are popping her out their head when she sees kids eating, you know, white bread, you know, that kind of sun-blessed bread and, you know, canned food and everything. But the flip side to that is the, the, horrible, the horrible reality is that, you know, some of these um, food packages that, you know, there's no point to put some of these ingredients in there that you know that would be better health-wise because they just need anything that can get in the cupboard that you know that 
can help the family eat in some way, you know. So it's a very difficult double-edged sword. I mean, you know, you see with Marcus there what, what he's doing and um, it's just it's just a sad state of affairs. But you're right, in Scandinavia, everything from nursery, every you're outside all the time. You're outside in the wild, you're growing. If you have sandwiches, they're like spelt breads, you know, they're brown malt, you know, whatever. It's a completely different way of thinking. Why can we not get, we need to work like this? But often it's not the fault of the kids, it's the fault of the parents. And um, that's the sad reality. Yeah, I think so. I think, do you think there's a there's a problem in our culture as well? I've I, I found this, for being in this industry a long time, is like you say, in Scandinavia, people, it's actually quite fashionable now to become a baker or people are, it's quite like sought after. Whereas mm-hmm. here, I don't know whether, you know, and front of house as well. And, and these days recruiting front of house, very difficult. You know, people mm-hmm. don't really see it as a career, whereas maybe across in Europe. Yeah, but that's me going back to, you know, my parents, you know, I have to take my hats off to them, my hat off to them, like allowing me to leave school at 16 all those years ago to, to follow this industry. In France, Italy, anywhere in Europe, it's ex- it was accepted. But hospitality now, you know, hospitality used to be the thing that, you know, if you left school at 16 and you didn't know what you were going to do, you were pushed into hospitality or hairdressing or or something like that just to get you to college. Now we're trying, we're really, really pushing. And you mentioned front of house there because it literally is, you know, are you, do you want to be a chef? Do you want to work in restaurants? Do you want to work in hotels? Do you want to work in reception? Do you want to be a sommelier? You know, there's so many incredible jobs, but you can travel the world. You can you can open your mind to so many great things in this amazing industry if you can just fall in love with it. And it's such a great, great opportunity for young people to get out there and, you know, really make a great career for themselves and travel the world and learn new new cultures. Um, yeah, I'm really big into pushing that for young people, you know. Yeah, I think it's important that industry moves with it as well, though, isn't it? There's a lot of maybe... I don't know the right word is, but, you know, operators who probably take the piss a little bit and how much they make people work, you know, and, and it comes to the industry where people work 80 hours, then they do go and their mental health isn't the best. And, you know, that that's something I think we need to be getting away from as well and, and be in an industry where you can have a healthy... Yeah, life. I mean, it is, yeah, that, that, I think that's very difficult, that one, you know, it's, it's very difficult because, you know, I'd be lying to you, but, you know, you know, my Michelin star restaurant, the kitchen, you know, it is still proper SES stuff. You know, it's proper long hours. It's proper dedication. But those people that, that are coming there, they know exactly why they're coming there. Yeah. You know, they're coming there to try and absorb and learn and take their careers to the next level. Now, that is not for everyone. And I totally understand that. But coming to a restaurant like The Kitchen or, you know, for example, some of these chefs, Claire Smith, you know, Helen Daros that we talked about earlier, just were awarded three-star missions. The young people who are going there, they know why they're going there. They know what it's all about. But most importantly is that these people are paid properly now and they're looked after. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the great thing where the industry has changed. It's not like you take a commie job and you're paid £14,000 a year and you're going to work 85 hours a week. So actually you're earning about £2 an hour or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it's improved. It's taken the industry into modern times, and I think that's a real benefit. No, absolutely. I think, it, like you say, you come for an experience with yourself. Whereas, you know, funnily enough, before I started my business, was I used to work for a large hotel chain, one of the restaurant managers there, and I was on fourteen grand a year doing eighty hours a week. That's the reason I, I left because it was like you, it was just ridiculous. But that was 
you know, no thank you, no nothing, not getting paid correctly. Just just quickly, while obviously I don't want to get too political. What do you think, how do you feel with having a seat of parliament, a, a, a hospitality minister? Do you think that's a good thing or do you think it makes no, a difference? No, absolutely. I mean, of course, it's, I mean, it's, it's only with, you know, this pandemic, which none of us were prepared for and thinking about, obviously, but it, it absolutely blows your mind that an industry that brings so much to the United Kingdom is such an important um, part of the economy, employs so, so many people. And yet we have nobody representing us at Parliament. I mean, there's no way in. And, you know, it does feel like we're treated in a, in a way of like, a, you know, secondhand citizens, as in we're low-skilled workers in some way. And my goodness, that makes my blood boil beyond belief, you know. And, you know, of all the industries, you know, hospitality, um, events, you know, all these kind of things, we've been dealt a card throughout this, which has just been unbelievable. But my goodness, how proud does it make you feel of the industry when you see how we've dealt with it, how we've everything that's been thrown at us, we've we've dealt with, we've adjusted, we've we've really, you know, embraced everything. I really hope that the governments and the people who are in charge are going to help us in some way to get back on our feet because my goodness, the debt, the debt that we will have to pay back is 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 completely unsustainable. We will need help. We need help. We've lost people. We've made redundancies. We've lost businesses. We've lost incredible, incredible people, and um, we need help to get back on our feet. And um, I really, I really, really hope that we can get a minister of hospitality. We can get our message across because it's just dire. It's been, it's, ab- it's absolutely awful what's happened. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I was on a call just before the. It's like a northern culture thing. They're trying to do a party, you know, to pitch to to the to the government and they're saying in there you know it's like you know this thing's lasted longer than they thought so like you say you need you need something left but you also need to be able to push businesses forward rather than them catching up debt for five years so there's you need that extra support now to like you say when you reopen that you're reopening into a thriving thing where it's you know let's get back at it and i just hope but that- also the, the the restaurants and the hospital the restaurants the hotels we are we are such an important we are the top of this chain you know, and if we are not operating, that has a knock-on effect because we cannot we cannot pay our suppliers, and that has a knock-on effect. The suppliers can't operate. How, the suppliers, how are they supposed to go? Your your butchers, your fishmongers, your dry stores, all these you know, all these people, all this stock that they've had to lose, and and they're just like that overnight. They're supposed to get that stock back, you know, and then close and then open and close. But that has a knock-on effect to the fishermen, to the farmers, to the growers, to the dairy, to the taxi drivers, to the people who help clean the restaurants. You know, it's the whole chain that the restaurants are working at, you know, you know. And um, that's why, you know, even like people buying vouchers at Christmas, it was such a wonderful thing because not only were you buying a voucher for the restaurant that you wanted to, to share the experience with, that then had the most incredible knock-on effect to all the people in the chain. and. Um, these things were so, so important. And, you know, when the governments were asking us to close at six o'clock, okay, fine, we'll close at six o'clock. But then to close at six o'clock and you're not allowed to serve any alcohol, then we cannot operate. We, you might as well close us. You know, there's, we're operating at such a loss. Yeah. How can we pass that on? You know, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of frustrations there, a lot of frustrations. 
Yeah, I think so. I think that the curfew for me was the most ill thought out one. It's ridiculous. And, and like, yeah, I'm glad you've said it though for anyone who is listening because I don't think people sometimes feel or see that chain. You know, it's like you said about people growing. You've got a crop that you've grown that suddenly is, is wasted and not sell. That's, that's, that's you done, you know, and, and it goes right the way back. And the chain. Well, if, you think of the, if you think of the farmer with, exactly, yeah. with, with the pigs, cows, whatever, the restaurants are not taking the meat. They're not going to slaughter. So then the farmer can't kill. So the farmer can't make any money. But then he, he's, got to, he's got to feed these animals through winter, which costs an incredible amount of money. So it's all, it's just a domino effect. It's an absolute catastrophe. And what worries me is, is not the big, big producers. I'm sure they'll survive, but they, they'll be hurting massively. But these small artisan producers, the little guy, you know, the beautiful produce, you know, how can they survive? These are the, one, these are the people that are making Britain great, that make restaurants special is that incredible artisan producer so yeah it's deeply worrying but we need to think about the big picture we can't just think about yourself you need to think about the whole chain yeah yeah absolutely let's let's move off that before because we could probably talk about that all day and yeah, yeah get exactly. wound up so you went with the scran and scally now just so i'm clear now in edinburgh mm. or in scotland scran is it a word food yeah we use it in liverpool so when i saw uh, it i was unsure and it's obviously we talk about the Liverpool link now. I was unsure whether that was from Liverpool, but when I've read up, it, it's you widely use it up there as well, don't you? Aye, scrannies food and uh, scallies. We well, we call the kids scallies. You know, yeah. like your, your wee scally. So scran and scally, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's a really happy place. It's it's a it's a, it's a it's a pub that's hit a note with many many people. But I tell you what, those Liverpoolians, they love it. They love it. It seems <laughs> to hit a note with them. You know. They, they love it. Um, so, yeah, it's a really happy place. We have um, what we call a scally corner as well for the, for the kids to go to. So, you know, we always thought that, you know, I think what you do down south is really you do pubs really, really well down south. You know, like, you know, whether it's London, the Midlands, uh, you know, Liverpool, wherever. Mm. But like pubs where it's, it's a part of the community where you would go for Sunday lunch, where you where you're looked after by a landlord and, you know, it's a really happy place. You'd go for a pint on a Thursday or you'd have a quiz night. Or I always remember that from my grandfather when I used to visit. In Scotland, it, pubs have always been drinking holes, you know, like, you know, they've just been drinking holes. And of course, they've had to adapt now. So when we opened Scran and Scally, it was very much about a place that the family could go. You could go with your grandparents. You could go with your wife, your girlfriend. You could go for a business meeting. You could go, you know, it, it's like a place of the people. And the Scally Corner was absolutely genius by my wife, but she had to fight for it so much because it could have been a table of six. So you imagine the turnover of that table of six over the year. Instead, it's a Scally Corner with beanbags and DVDs and whatever. But I tell you what, it's been absolutely brilliant because that helps mom and dad relax, granny and grandpa relax, kids go to the Scally Corner, <laughs> they have another glass of wine. And you know, you 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 make you make up the earnings, but um, yeah, Scranniskelly is a really happy place, and uh, it's something. You know, sometimes I walk in there on a Sunday, it's packed. You've got the live Scottish folk music on. You've got kids eating oysters. You've got steak pies. You got like you know, it's just it's just brilliant. I love it. That's great. Definitely a best name one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so moving on from that, then the the link to Liverpool that you do have. 
Yeah. Uh, do you have family from Liverpool? Yeah, I do. Yeah, my grandfather was uh, yeah. was born in Bootle, so he's a, he's a scouser. My cousins they still live down there, and it's been drummed into me from a very very young age from my grandfather, Liverpool Football Club, and of course when I was young. It, it wasn't really very difficult to fall in love with Liverpool because, first of all, when you go to a Liverpool match, you fall in love with Liverpool. But then, of course, we had so many incredible Scots, Kenny and Sunes Allen and, you know, um, all these players play and they won everything. So as a youngster, to fall in love with Liverpool was just, it was very, very easy for me to do and to have that connection with family. But little did I know I was going on a barren run for years and years, but... To be now so involved with Liverpool, we, you know, before the pandemic was going down all the time to the matches, home and away, different matches. And um, it's really, it's really, I have a lot of dear friends there in Liverpool. And um, yeah, it's, it's really special to me. Yeah, I've seen, I think there's a picture of you with Kenny Daglish pouring a pint. You're looking at him <sighs> if he's... He, he. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's opened doors. You know, the 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 world of food and restaurants has opened incredible doors to me to meet people that even now you you pinch yourself. You can't believe that you're you're in the company of some of these great players. But I'm sure, like yourself, you you meet people who you always idolize and look up to, and then you meet them, and they're just great people, and they're just out for having a good time and. and that's what the wonderful thing about food and football, it brings together happiness, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a happy thing most of the time. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's something that I really, I really cherish very much. Yeah, yeah it's a shame we've been, uh, that's something else we've been robbed of, that celebration, 30 years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it feels like, um, yeah, uh, when they won, the, when they won we managed to lift the trophy there for the fans not to be there. I mean, the scenes when they won the European Cup, you know, in Madrid, and then they came back to Liverpool. That was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. But um, yeah, I didn't make it to Liverpool because I was still in Madrid and uh, I, my body wouldn't take me to Liverpool. I had to get back home. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to Istanbul? No, I wasn't in Istanbul. Istanbul, I was, you know, you got to remember that, you know, my journey as a chef. Yeah. You know, I was, I was actually working in Monte Carlo with Alan Ducasse in Hotel de Paris. But I was actually off that day. So I managed to see the match and it, it was absolute carnage. I remember it really well. But my life wasn't, you know, like I didn't have the access to these trips as a young chef. It's only over the last like six, seven years that I've been able to really manage my life to allow me to go and uh, met incredible people, you know, and you know how hard it is to get tickets, you know, so uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, I've seen you there a few times. It's the uh, the curly hair, isn't it? You, you get noticed more. It's funny when I walk up the cup. I was just like, "Oh, chef, chef!" <laughs> <laughs> or in the in the concourse at halftime, you know. I was just, oh, the people are brilliant. I mean, they're absolutely brilliant. Chef, I'm going to do my Sunday dinner, you know, like, oh, Jesus. Get, yeah, that's something we can't wait to um, when we can get people back in the stadium. That'll be that'll be mm. great. I don't think I don't think we're we're not looking too strong this year, though. I don't know if we're gonna. I I I have um, great faith. Uh, I think uh, I think we'll we'll turn the tide. Uh, it, it's a blip. We've been on an incredible journey. If you think about it, we've been spoiled. We've been really spoiled. And I keep saying that to my children, who are just no Liverpool to keep winning and winning and winning. 
I'm like, listen, boys, <laughs> we cannot win all the time. I, and they're like, we've got too many good players. We're, we're suffering with the injuries. We're suffering. Um, you know, we trust Klopp. We, he'll get it right. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back strong soon. So. I think so. I think so. I think that's we, we we need that. We get win at Tottenham. It'll look completely different. I do agree. exactly. We're six points off it. We're six points off, and it's halfway. So let's not get too down. Let's I not think. get too down. And the rest, <laughs> the ones above us, they're 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 no good. United are not good. City oh. are a problem. But you know we still got them to play. So let's do it. Don't know where United came from, but ugh, I know. they need to go. Of all the things, if, as if the year as if the year wasn't bad <laughs> enough the last year. To have them up there like that as well, uh, it just make, it makes you it makes you sick. Anyone can win it, but them. Anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll we'll, we'll see on Thursday. Hopefully, um, have you managed to pass the baton on to to your boys for the? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. There's uh, there's there's no choice, and they've all embraced it dramatically. My problem is getting tickets and rotating them because my wife, to be fair, she's absolutely fallen in love with Liverpool as well. And she, you know, whenever we go to Anfield, she's treated like a princess, you know. So, you know, she, she, she's loving it, and um, she knows this. She knows the words to all the songs. I mean, can you imagine four boys in this house? I mean, it's literally. I have to ban the football talk, like breakfast table. I'm like, guys, listen, we cannot talk about transfers at breakfast, lunch, dinner all the time. You got the Virgil Van Dyke song. You got the Tiago song from Jamie Webster. You've got like, you know. You've got all these words. That, I mean, they know it all. They know it all. Um, so, yeah, my wife deserves a medal, but it literally is football, 24-7 in this house, 24-7. Do you follow a Scottish team or not? Yeah, well, no, not really. Um, but where the restaurant is, it's in Leith, which is very close to Hibs. And one of my boys is actually uh, in the academy at Hibs. Um, so, you know, I'm watching them, but, I enjoy Celtic as well, but I don't follow them. I don't follow them. And of course, I'm keeping an eye on Gerard at Rangers as well, you know, but uh, Scottish football is very tribal. It's a very, very mm. funny place to be. You have to, if you, if you put yourself with one, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a very tribal thing. And uh, so I just put my hands up and say, you know, I'm a red through and through. and uh, I don't get involved in it. Really. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, just going back to food and then, few years since I've been up to Edinburgh, how is the scene in, in general? As I know Leith, for example, has is, is come a long way. A lot of um, different areas. You had some great bars there. Bramble, for one. Really love that. Mm-hmm. The best bars there. But that was a few years since I've been back up. Um, yeah. How is it at the minute, the scene? No, Edinburgh, I mean, you know, obviously it's suffering just now, but Edinburgh Edinburgh's a city that, um, I, I, you know, I'm... I, I'm not saying this cliche-wise, but I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, you know? I mean, it's got everything that I love about a city. First of all, it's a really beautiful city. You know, it's got incredible history. It's, it's you know, people come and they just cannot believe how beautiful it is. It's not too big. We're only like just over half a million people, but it's got a great cosmopolitan, you know, um, youthful drive about it. But also, you know, if you think about Scotland, everyone thinks about history and the bagpipes and you know, and all the traditional stuff. And of course, that is so massively important, especially for the, the tourist trade. But now you've got such an, an eclectic mix of different cultures, different, um, you know, bars, restaurants, pubs, Michelin-style restaurants, five-star hotels, great three-star hotels, boutique hotels, bed and breakfast. You've got incredible parks. You've got, you've got a real 
vibe about Edinburgh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's evolving all the time, all the time. It's getting stronger and stronger. And I think that's really important that people visiting Edinburgh come away and they're like, wow, what a city. I love that city. And I want to go back. They, they, they leave Edinburgh. They tell 10, 15, 20 people, you know, that old analogy. And that's how we just continue growing and, and, and helping everything, you know, and, you know, I think as you mature, you grow into that role. You you understand how important it is that everyone is singing from the same hymn book. If we everyone makes it, it's not about us against them or our restaurants better than your restaurant. It's about making Edinburgh great, making Scotland great, and getting people to come back and tell their friends. You know, and um, and that's how the cycle cycle all works. You know, it's a be- beautiful place, wonderful country. Can ask you a couple of questions. You might not want to answer first one. So, the best chef you've ever worked with? Can you say that? Or well, there's two really. The the one that I'm closest to, and the one that had the most influence on my career, is without a shadow of a doubt, Pierre Kaufman. We had restaurant La Tante Claire. Uh, you know, I went there as a young chef. He took me from boy to man. Um, you know, last night after the Michelin, we were on the phone for half an hour. He's such an important part of my life, but. I also worked for a chef called Alan Ducasse, who is without doubt the most the most recognised chef in the world. Uh, that was in Monaco, in Monte Carlo, um, Monte Carlo, and it was like that was the epitome of gastronomy. The, you know, the, the, it doesn't get better than that restaurant. It, in football terms, as you know, your Real Barcelona at their in their heyday. You know, it it was absolutely it was like a finishing school to go there, and uh, and still now it's very very close to my heart. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so next question w- would be where where is your f- favorite restaurant or best meal? Favorite restaurant, best meal. My favorite restaurant in the world is a restaurant um, just behind Claridge's in London on uh, Brook Mews, and it's a restaurant called La Petite Maison, and it's a chef called Raphael Duntoy. Now, Raphael was working with me at Tom Clare, so we were like. When I was 18, he was there with me. He's a bit older than me. But Raphael's originally from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. He's uh, raised in London, um, French trained, Japanese wife, wow. and then did a lot of Japanese cooking. And he mixes absolutely everything. And his food is sublime, sublime. It's unbelievable. But not only that, the whole energy and the vibe of the restaurant is for me is one of my favorite places to go okay i'll get to check that out next time we go down and obviously we can't travel anywhere at the minute what about mm. what where's your favorite place to or where would be first on your <clears throat> on your list for sort of a for traveling experience yeah oh culinary experience yeah uh, or, I mean, or just in general both both yeah I have a, you know, after spending many years in France, I mean, I, I have a real love affair with France. I, I um, you know, wherever it is in France, Paris, south of France, wine, you know, Burgundy, wherever. I just, I just find it the most incredible country, how every region is different, how every region has different specialities. The love of food, it's, that's my place. That's my place. I, I can see myself there one day. And, uh, yeah. In a, yeah, in the countryside, you know, surrounded by vineyards. That would be nice, yeah. Yeah, reti- retired or a restaurant? Uh, no, re- retired. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Um, what a, last question for you. One thing we've been asking all the anyone on there is 
obviously in the weeds is a um you know a phrase often termed in hospitality industry but have you ever have you got any a time in your life or an incident it it could be funny it could be something very poignant that you know you were in the weeds and it was sometimes it, it can be for the better but like any in particular maybe in a service or just in life Oh, mate. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I've been in the weeds, as you say, and my whole life, really. You know, I even wrote about in one of my books one one time with Pierre Kaufman. You know, Pierre Kaufman, for for those who don't know him, look him up. I mean, he's he's one of the godfathers of British cooking. But he used to, when I was at Le Tonclair, he used to cook the meat. And it had a, what we call a an island stove, but it was against the wall. And he was at one end and I was at the other on the veg, the garnish. And, I mean, it was proper proper hardcore back in the day stuff and i always remember once i did the staff food i did the staff food and um you know i was you're always in the shit always in the shit always about survival you didn't know if you were going to make it through every day every day you thought it was your last day you were going to get sacked and you were running from morning to dusk and he came along and he tasted my staff food and it was too salty and he took the whole thing and he threw it against the wall and then he went into my garnish fridge and he took all my garnishes, everything that I prepared for lunch service, and he gave it to the staff. And that was it. I was finished. I was out of there. This was it. I, and and I, the tears were coming down my eyes. And I went into my drawer and I got my knives and I rolled them up and I was going back to Scotland. That was it. And there was there was um, an amazing, um, amazing uh, chef there, a girl chef from Finland. And her name was Helena. She's a great friend of mine now. And she was a strong, strong Finnish girl. And, I, you know, I was emotional. And, and she came along and I, she grabbed me by the, by the scruff of the neck. She pinned me against the wall and she said, you stay here and you fight. And I was like, no, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Get me out. Get me out. And um, she said, I'm going to help you. You fucking stay there. Get yourself ready. We fight this together. And that was one of those moments. That was one of those moments that my whole life was on a bridge and it could have gone either way. Because if I'd gone back to Scotland, mm. if I'd walked out and gone back to Scotland, I would never have achieved what I've achieved so far. And that was thanks to Helena being strong enough to realize it was such a big moment. And she knew that I had the potential. But she knew I was on the edge and she helped me get through that. And, uh, yeah, I'm very, very grateful to you know that moment. So the motto to any young chef, any young person is no matter how bad it feels or how bad it is, it isn't that bad. You can fight it. You'll get through it. And the next day will be a better day. And the more that you learn mentally to fight those difficult days, the more mental, the mental, more mentally strong you'll become, and that will help you progress. And the doors will open because your 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 employers, your chefs will be watching. They'll understand and they'll see you grow as a person. But then on the flip side, sorry, make sure you help that young person who needs that. You know that those moments help them get through. So um, yeah, that's my weeds moment. But there's many more. <laughs> but, um... Great advice and a great story. But like sometimes yeah. things have to get worse before they get better. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why the Reds are going to be fine. <laughs> so just finally, have you got any, you know, that they were fine words in themselves, but you know, anyone in 
at the minute who's listening in lockdown and obviously what have we got to look forward to in the future coming up yeah i mean yeah i mean just keep the faith guys keep keep um keep active keep mentally strong get out there do exercise use the time to read do something different cook read cookbooks you know listen to podcasts and you know all these things um and when we're ready to go let's get back to what we do what we love the most and uh, and really give it our best shot to get our industry back on its feet that's it really well it's been a pleasure talking to you and thanks for your time today so guys that's it thanks a lot for listening as always and a big thanks to tom for coming on it was an absolute pleasure and i hope you guys enjoyed the episode as always, love to hear feedback by social media at FazmanGoes or you can check the website at mattyfarrell.co.uk. Please be sure to check out Tom's venues. They're absolutely fantastic. And next week, we will have Miss Chanel Creswell, BAFTA award-winning actress that you may know from This Is England fame. Uh, and we get an insight into the art industry, another industry that's been decimated by what's going on. But I'm sure it'll bounce back and a good positive episode to get your ears onto next week once again guys thanks for listening stay safe out there peace